Wherever you are in the world, thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Badminton Podcast, a community for badminton players by badminton players, proudly brought to you by Valan. We talk all things badminton and aim to inspire you to be better in your game and in life by celebrating the people and stories of our global badminton community, whether they be past or present professional players, social players, officials or fans. We're your hosts, Jeff and Henry, and we love badminton. From the bottom of our hearts, we'd just like to say thank you to everyone who has listened to, shared and been part of the podcast. It wouldn't be possible without you all. If you do enjoy our episodes and can spare just a couple of dollars each month, you can really help keep the podcast going by supporting us on Patreon. Just visit www.patreon.com slash Podcast. We'll leave the link in the description. Hey guys, Henry here. In this episode, we're talking to Martin Hargrave from Talk Badminton. So this is our interview with him. We hope you enjoy it. Make sure you do check him out. Talk Badminton is a podcast as well as a YouTube channel. So just a shout out to Martin. He's doing a great job for the badminton community and we love it when other people are also trying to build the community, share values, share knowledge, and share the love of badminton with the rest of the world. So tune in and hope you enjoy it. Good morning, UK badminton players, fans, listeners. I hope you're well this Wednesday morning. We're off to sunny Australia. The sunshine, isn't it? Interweb, amazing. We're going all the way to Melbourne, Australia to meet Henry Wong and Jeff Tho. How are you today, guys? Very good, Martin. Thanks for having us So today. what time have we got over this? 20 past seven tonight. Have you had your tea yet? Uh, not yet. So um, I'm all ready. I'm not fatigued by a, a big fat stomach full of food at the moment. So I'm ready to, ready to rock and roll, ready to answer all your questions. All your, but I'd love to say it is sunny and warm at the moment, but it is winter or coming on to winter here. So it is not very warm at all. Is there, uh, I think we've got two spectrums going on here. So what's your idea of not very warm? Sub 10 degrees. Under 10 degrees. Actually, that's what we've got here. Yeah. That is, is it coming into winter now? Is it what June time is winter, is it? Yeah, June. So just a few days away from June. So we're almost there. So what happens? Is it is it a lot of rain? Is it, does it snow? What do you get? So rain and cold and frost, but not really often snow. I think it's it's happened a few times in history, but it's not a regular thing for us. It mostly just gets wet. Yeah, wet and cold. <laughs> so, so what's the typical, like, during December and stuff, like, what would you say is an average temperature in Melbourne? Um, these days, you'd probably range from the high 20s to up to 40 to 45, depending. But there's not... Average. That's average, but the the ones above 40 degrees, they're not that common. But usually every summer, we will have a few days that are that temperature usually. Not to go off topic here, but the temperature has definitely been a lot different in more recent years than I'd say when I was growing up. And we could say it's climate change. We could say all that kind of stuff. But we are finding that we're getting some rain in the middle of summer sometimes, which never used to happen. And I'd probably say that our summers aren't generally quite as hot as they used to be. Yeah. But that's just my perception. Yeah. But Henry, Henry might think differently. What do you think, Henry? Would you uh, agree with that? Well, I mean, I, I spent most of my time growing up in Adelaide. So the weather is a little bit different over there much more stable compared to the four seasons you get on a daily basis here in melbourne 
So I think when I first moved over, I remember staying at college and looked outside and it was sunny and you go outside in t-shirt and shorts, but it's actually cold. <laughs> but yeah, I guess comparatively, it may not be as cold as where you are, Martin. Oh, yeah. So yeah, I think it's the wind chill factor that plays a big Is part it? in the Melbourne weather and the cold here. I think in a, over here on average, I would say... Like a really, a really, really hot day is like 27 over here, probably. Like in the summer, proper summer, where I am in Scotland, which just always seems to be cold. Even London's, you know, it's only about five or 600 miles away, but it's so different. You fly down there and you get off the plane, you think, oh my God, my wife's just back from London. And um, she's like, oh my God, it's so cold in Scotland. It's just a few degrees, but it feels absolutely ridiculous. So anyway, that sounds good. So tell me, how do you know each other? Do you want to go with that one, Jeff? You can go, Henry. I've spoken most of the time so far. Okay. How generous of you, Jeff, Jeffrey. Um, so Jeff and I kind of, we knew each other a long time ago just because of the badminton community. So growing up, I probably started badminton a bit later than Jeff. So when I entered the badminton scene and the more competitive badminton scene, I had already sort of heard of who Jeff was because of how high ranked he was in Australia and just his general general status within the badminton community, which is relatively small here. So I knew of him. I had friends that were friends with him, but of course, growing up in Adelaide, whereas he was in Melbourne or Victoria, then I never actually got to meet him until probably, probably be in my late teens where, where I met him through a friend at a hot pot event. Um, What's so, that? I'm not sure if you're familiar with hot pot. Um, the uh, hot, hot pot, so. hot pot over here. There's a there's a thing on TV called Coronation Street, a TV series, and uh, I don't know if you've heard of it. It's in based in Manchester, and a hot pot is something to serve in the pub, which is like a stew. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think it's uh, like so that's not a misaligned to what we're we're thinking of in terms of hot pot. When we're talking about hot pot, anyway, in the Asian community, it is sort of like a you get your own pot. It comes with its own soup and you basically dip, you know, meat in there. You cook, basically you cook your own food in this hot pot, which is consistently heated up. And Jeff and I had this mutual friend, Sam, who essentially had a hot pot birthday event every year. And this one point, I don't know which birthday it was, but both Jeff and I had been invited and we knew of each other through mutual friends and we were able to connect then for the first time. So when you said I met him at a hot pot event, I literally thought it was going to be like some kind of badminton tournament. <laughs> some, some, some kind of event and there was some quirky name for a badminton tournament, a hot pot event. Basically just everybody thrown in together and all playing against each other and everything. No, you're actually talking about a hot pot. Brilliant. I like that a lot. And uh, so what age did you meet? Oh, that would have been, I'm not sure actually. It would have been pretty, pretty late, late on in our teen years or even early twenties, I'd say. Um, but actually, was, what age are you now? I'm 33. Just turned 33 recently. Good. And I'm 30. I'm, I'm 30. So, and how well do you think you know one another? Uh, pretty well, I'd say. Good. So, to continue on with Henry's story, we played Australian university games together. So, we both studied at the University of Melbourne. So, I'm not sure if you know Martin. So, Henry did veterinary science. He's, All right. He's a vet, yes. but he's vet qualified and I'm a dentist qualified. So we played for the university and that's where we, we spent, I think it was what a good week together playing matches together in the team together. And that's how we started to get to know uh, each other. Oh, I see. So, okay. So I've got these standard questions, right? Which I ask everybody, right? 
And uh, I'm going to have a little try of a muck, muck about with this and see what you know about each other. So I'm going to ask Henry's questions to you, Jeff. And I'm going to ask Jeff's sure. questions to you, Henry. And let's see how it pans out, right? Let's see how well you know one each other. Mm-hmm. So your full name, Henry, what's Jeff's full name? Any middle names? Easy. Jeffrey Uchung To. Good. Uchung Po. Okay. And the same... No, To. T-H-O. Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, same question. Same question, Jeff, to Henry. Uh, Hock Nien Henry Wong. <laughs> <laughs> Good. And your age? Oh, we just... Yeah, sorry. 33, 33. Sorry, 33. <laughs> Jeff's a little bit older. Okay, cool. And uh, which one of you? Who's the best player? Can I ask that question? Yeah, easy, Jeff. Easy question. <laughs> you can answer that. I think you'll probably say you've both got different attributes now. Yeah, we, we have different attributes and strengths. Yeah. And hey, are you both singles players? <laughs> I used to be a singles player, but now I don't play much singles because I have a pretty messed up hip because of all the badminton I played and trained. So I do play singles occasionally, but mainly doubles now. But when I was playing and training full-time, it was singles. Yeah. Did you have problems with hard floors where you trained? Uh, not necessarily hard floors. I'm sure that contributed to it, but we were on sprung floorboards as well. It's just the very common hip injury yeah. of badminton players, which twists is... And, yeah, just, twists and turns, isn't it? They yeah. say it's an unusual... What was I reading about? They're saying it's a it's an alien thing in the human body to jump and twist while you're in the air. It's something that your body is not designed to do, right? Jump up off the ground and turn, and so you land in a different position to where you took off. It's quite an unusual thing, I think, in, in badminton. It does look very good when it actually yeah. happens. Yeah, though. yeah, no, it's impressive. No question about that. And family, let's talk about brothers and sisters. Jeff, have you got any brothers or sisters? Henry, you know the answer. It's okay, let's we... just go back to traditional. So, Henry, have you got any... Because I'm getting confused myself, to be honest. Uh... <laughs> I thought I was answering Henry's question. <laughs> yeah, you can, you can do that. Go for it. Okay, then. If you know the answer, go for it. Henry has one older sister, Winnie. And does she play badminton? No. <laughs> never, and never... Technically, Not she has. Is she good? She technically has. During high school, she played for the school. Is she good? Uh, but yeah, definitely not anymore. So you're from, you're from Adelaide, Henry? Yeah, I was. Well, actually, technically, I was born in Hong Kong, but I moved to Adelaide, South Australia, when I was eight months right. old, and grew up there until I moved to Melbourne for uni. And Jeff, sorry, were you are you from Melbourne originally, or where did you grow up playing? So I was born in Malaysia, and I was only four months old when I when my parents migrated to Australia. And I grew up in Bendigo, which is about two hours from Melbourne. What's the badminton scene like in Adelaide? First of all, Henry, what was it? Was it a popular sport? Was there a good facility? What? Uh, def- definitely not popular. Almost non-existent when I was growing up there. So I was one of those people who didn't actually know what badminton was. And that when people when people asked me what badminton was, I probably would have been one of those people that said I played that once in a backyard, which I did when I was a child with my parent, uh, with my mum and my sister. So my earliest memory of badminton was actually in a park somewhere, hitting the shuttlecock up into the sky by myself, and of course with my mum and my sister as well. But then when I was about fifteen or sixteen, one of my close friends he introduced me to badminton, the actual sport. So, yeah, it, it's almost non-existent back then, but there's certainly a growing participation in the and going sport. Back to that, going back to that friend of yours, did he play a lot? Did he, was he in a club or what was that like? Why did he know badminton and you didn't? We actually played tennis together right. and he actually spent 
every Sunday or every few Sundays, he would play badminton with basically some uncles in a random gym, in a random primary school that we used to go to. So it was a very niche group of people. And yeah, it was very, very interesting because there was only four courts there and it was actually like a basketball stadium, essentially. Yeah. You were quite quirky in being the guy that played badminton, I suppose, and it becomes a thing, doesn't it? So if nobody else played at that point, would you say you were very much a beginner, Henry, when you played then? Was you, at what point did you start to take it quite seriously, I suppose, like competing and, and getting coached? How was the coaching experience in Adelaide? It didn't take me long to take it seriously because I actually found it very enjoyable the first few times. I think switching from another racket sport, being a tennis player and switching to it, it felt easy, although everything I was doing was wrong, technically, from from a technical perspective, you know, the strokes and whatnot. And I was trying to hit top spin on a shuttlecock, which didn't go too well. And I was using my arm for most of my hits. So like I try and I generate a lot of movement and very little movement to the shuttlecock. But it was very like I found it really enjoyable. And I kind of the love sort of just started there. The passion sort of grew very rapidly. I started playing, you know, two or three times a week. And then I got involved with my first tournament with this friend who introduced me to the sport. And that's when I was, I guess, yeah, initiated into the, the badminton world because I've got to meet a lot of friends, as I said, mutual friends with Jeff, yeah, yeah. who actually played the sport properly. And I sort of realized what badminton was at that particular point in time. And from there, essentially, I started to take it seriously. So I joined the under 17 state team. So I started when I was 15 or 16, and then I got into the under 17 I state see. team. So it was a pretty short period of time between finding the sport, falling in love with the sport, yeah. and actually trying to compete in the sport as well. I'm quite interested in the, the temperatures. Over here, it's very easy, right, over here to get into badminton because, it's, frankly, it's cold all the time, right? It's always cold. It's mostly raining, let's be honest, and you don't have 25, 30, 40 degrees, right? So quite often in the UK, you want to be indoors, right? I imagine over there when it's a heart of summer. So, And also, how does the seasons work, Jeff? How does a season work? In, is it a July, June, July, August, September sport, unlike the UK? No, it's basically a year-round sport. So funny that you say that. We were talking to Steen Peterson, and our commentator for BWF, and he was saying one of the, the secrets of Danish badminton, why Denmark is so good at badminton, is weather is so terrible, yes. so no one wants to be not like competition for other sports but i guess from that perspective the badminton scene in australia it's pretty much year round so there's winter competitions when i was growing up as a as a junior as as just a kid we used to have winter competitions summer competitions all the way through the year round in comparison to some other sports that definitely sees no like your cricket your australian rules football netball and those kinds of sports but yeah badminton is very much a a year-round sport over here and so when it's beaming, I guess you have the extremes where it's really hot and you probably want to be indoors with air conditioning, right? That's the opposite, isn't it? You know, if it's 40 degrees outside, you probably don't want to be indoors. So probably an outdoor sport is probably an indoor sport is quite good because the air cons are on. It's like going on holiday. I don't know if you've ever done that. You go on holiday and you go and sit in the car because it's the only place that's really cold. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there isn't really really any halls or badminton halls here that does have air. So when it's 40 degrees outside, it's about 50 degrees in the tin shed, which is at the badminton hall. So it's actually probably hotter. (laughs) 
Oh, I see. It's a Big Ten shed. Oh, I see. Oh, I see. Okay, good. So, back to questions. Brothers and sisters, did I get that from you, Jeff? Um, Do you need me to answer that one? Yeah, go on then. Yeah. I don't know if I'll actually get this right. I know Jeff has a brother called Gary and a sister, I believe. Are they they older or younger? One sister. I think it's one sister. You're going to have to confirm that for me, Jeff. You're terrible, Henry. You don't even know me. What's going on? Our friendship is a lie. I told you. Um, yeah, so one brother, one sister, both older. And badminton players? My sister, so both of them used to play badminton. My sister only played until she was about 16 or 17, and she's the oldest. Her name's Elaine. And my brother, Gary, he played basically in the Australian national team as well, right. but he finished up in around 2007-ish, about 2006, 2007, when he was finished. I don't think I went on. I would like to ask you that question the same about where you grew up with badminton. What was it like where you grew up, Jeff? Was it was it a popular sport? Were you quite unique in playing, or what? Is it in your family? Do your yeah. parents? I didn't ask you that, Henry. Either do do your parents play? So, my, yeah, neither of my parents right. play badminton. Well, I mean, they have they have from a social perspective. Yes, uh, yes but, of course. Yeah, nothing. Yeah, no, I'm, that's. Yeah. I guess I'm 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 very interested in how people got into badminton, how they get to love it, why they started to love it, and at what point they thought I don't want to do anything else but it. And then, you know, have a kind of a career in it and that kind of thing. I'm quite interested in, so it's really at the beginning. I'm not, I'm probably not very good technically at names and, you know, all that. I'm quite interested in how people got into it and why people love it and how they got, they got into it. That's just my, my thing. So, yeah. So I grew up in Bendigo, which, like I said before, is about two hours from Melbourne. So it's a, a very Caucasian based town. So I was probably one of the the few Asians in my school. But in saying that, my dad used to play in Malaysia, just socially, just fun, nothing competitive at all. My mum didn't play at all. Brother and sister used to play tennis and then they started to play badminton. And because they're both older, I just went straight to badminton. I didn't really have any tennis lessons or play tennis at all. So that was probably when I was about eight or nine years old. And then by the time I was 11, my brother, who's four years older than me, he was competing in some Australasian championships, so under 17 Australasian championships, which is basically a championships between Australia and New Zealand. That's cool. And he was playing for the state of Victoria and I loved it. So that's when I started to take it a lot more seriously. And, and then I was able to actually qualify for, um, get selected into one of the Victorian teams the year after. So I was 12 years old playing in an under 17 competition. And then from there, it was, it was very much a very, very big part of my life. I started training before school. So very different to Henry's experience because I loved the game. I wanted to do really well in it. And I guess I'm really lucky that my parents were really supportive in that way. So from there, it was state and national teams that eventuated in the junior level. There was Probably one of the highlights was the Youth Commonwealth Games that was actually the second Youth Commonwealth Games, which was held in Bendigo and playing for Australia there in my hometown. So that was a really a great experience. Is it a big town? Henry, is it, as Jeff, I, is it a big town? So it's about 120 to yeah, 150,000. Yeah, I have to check it now. It's a big place, right? So, so it's a big place, but it's probably about 80 to 100 at that point in time because it has grown quite a bit, 80,000 people. And going back to your um, brother, are, we, so, are you very competitive with your brother? Did you compete a lot with your brother? And that's how when you're 11, you're competing against 17s. Is that because you competed against your brother, do you think, and it brought you stronger? Not really, to be honest. There was never a a, a want to beat him or to Wasn't be that? better than my brother. It, it was more, uh, no, I don't know why. 
it was probably more of a personal thing that I wanted to, I wanted it to be good myself, not really to beat my brother or beat my dad or anything like that. There must have been so, a measure. There must yeah. have been a measure to what good was, surely. There must have been some measure to what good was at that point in your life that you thought, God, I've got to beat that guy. Was there anybody like that that you, same question to you, Henry, actually, is there, did you have anybody at that time when you're in your formidable year, in the early years that drove you to become better? I wouldn't say there's a particular person Wouldn't I want you? to be. There's probably just the, the things I wanted to achieve, like make the state team or really? make it into the Australian team or win a national title or in the Australasian championships, the competition, they always finish the tournament with rankings. So they would say you're ranked number one in Australasia, so number one in Australia and New Zealand. And that's what I wanted from a young age to be number one. So it's probably more the ranking and the and the selection into teams rather than beating a specific person. And when you're at that age, when you're that young, I guess you there must have been somebody, I guess you have a coach that's driving you in that thought process. Did you have a good coach? What was that like? I did have a good coach, but I probably wouldn't say that he drove me into that thought process. I think that being the younger of two great, like great siblings just made me want to always achieve big things. Um, I was yeah. never one that someone that my parents had to nag to do anything. Really? I've always been wanting to wanting to do things. So the coach definitely helped 100%. He was a former Olympian for Australia. His name is Paul Stevenson. And there's definitely no way I would, would have gotten to where I got to without his help during my junior year. So big shout out to him. Good. And what was um, it? And as a coach, what was he like? Yeah. As a coach, what was he like? Was he technical? Was he physical? Was he very much involved with um, making you work hard, sweat hard, train hard? And how often did you train as well? Sorry, I'm missing out, Henry. I'll come back to these. All of the above. Yeah, technical, physical. Yeah, so when I was in primary school, like probably grade six, so I was probably about 10, 11 years old when I started to take it seriously. We were, I was doing sessions before school and after school. Well, yeah. So I would be... Yeah, so I, I took it very seriously very early on, and I was actually involved in swimming as well at that stage. So I was also trying to swim a bit competitively as well. So it was, I think it was just part of my growing up that whatever I wanted to do, I just wanted to be really good at. Very competitive person generally, yeah, good. What about you, Henry? What's your coaching experience and beginning playing experiences like? In Adelaide, what was the coaching like and availability of coaching? Obviously, you're big on interesting you were talking about tennis because i've gone the opposite way i've only ever played badminton and last year because of lockdown you couldn't do anything indoors right so the one one thing you could do is go and play tennis right outdoors and actually quite i've grown to love it but I, i'm the opposite of you i you know i'm all in badminton i'm totally in the wrist i'm totally this which is totally alien you know in the whole hitting a racket like this is just weird to me when you've gone you've had the opposite right yeah, so I guess it's for for you. It's sort of uh, an easier way to to break your wrist when you when you switch from badminton to tennis. Trying to transition that. Oh, it's a night with that top top spin. Is just that is just not an action you have in badminton, is it? You know when you're getting top spin on a ball. <gasps> Interestingly enough, Martin, that top spin or sort of basically, are you familiar with the off forehand? No. So the off forehand, it's. You're starting from the middle of the baseline in tennis yeah. and the ball is coming to your left-hand side if you're facing yes. forwards. Yes. So that would be your backhand. Yes. And the off forehand is when you run across to yes. the backhand side, but you play a forehand yes, good. Yes. and it doesn't go straight. It goes off back into the sort of the, the right-hand the right direction. The right-hand corner, yeah. The cross-section yeah. cross yeah. of the court, yeah, yeah. Correct. 
So funnily enough, my favorite shot in badminton is the reverse forehand drop, uh, reverse slice, because it has a very similar motion. Yeah. Uh, obviously, I do it in a very unconventional way because I have a very big swing when I do it. And Jeff's laughing at the moment because he <laughs> because he knows that swing. He knows the well. shot. He uh, knows that it, shot. Because it, it, it is one of my favorite shots and he mocks me all the time when we uh, when we do hit, just <laughs> doing the shot as well with a very enormous, enormous swing. So in terms of... As you could probably tell, my style of playing is quite not not as conventional as you might think. Just because, like you said, there isn't much in the way of quality coaches. It's not really? to say that there aren't coaches in Adelaide, especially when I was growing up there. There are certainly much better coaches there now, which has helped lift the game, and certainly as part of the participation has really gone up there. So the quality of the players in Adelaide has certainly increased uh, since I have left. But yeah, when I was learning badminton, I think for the most part, for the first couple of years, there wasn't much technical training, but more so physical training. And in terms of technical training, it was just sort of how to hit a drop shot, just place the drop shot here, not exactly how you need to move your arms or or whatnot when you you actually do the stroke. So a lot of my badminton, I learned playing socially, which is why I'm very sort of very involved in social badminton and really love the social community because that's how I learned how to play the game. And growing up at that, you know, Henry talked about, uh, sorry, Jeff talked about playing before school and that kind of thing. How often would you play when you started, I suppose? Was it a club once a week or was it what? I got involved quite heavily very quickly. Initially started as social badminton on a Friday and a Sunday. But once I started to get involved from a more competitive level and aspired to you know become as good as some of the players as I was playing with and got introduced to at some of the tournaments and you know set goals for myself to get into the team as well as win certain tournaments that were available to play at the time as well that's when I sort of got much more involved so I would be not morning not before school because I don't think that was actually available the only sort of competitive high-level training involved usually was at night. So I would train on Monday and Thursday nights uh, as well as Saturday mornings. And on the other days, I'd be playing at least every day of the week, but it won't be training every day. Probably I'd train three to four times a week. And then the other days I'd be playing at least some kind of social badminton as well. And Jeff, how did you get, who was taking you to badminton before school? Uh, my mum. Wow. So very, wow, wow, very wow, lucky wow. that my mum was taking me. Another good thing about Bendigo is it is smaller. Um, right. So if it was in Melbourne, it's a, it's very much different with traffic, et cetera. So it was probably about 10 to 12 minutes to the badminton hall from my I house, see. which makes it more convenient. Definitely. And getting across town in Bendigo is 15 to 20 minutes. So it's not it's not like Melbourne where you'd be on the road for, for an hour just to get to, get, there. get to training. And was there a lot of traveling to get to tournaments and that kind of thing when you were growing up? How did you do that? And how far away would the, where would the most local tournaments be? And how would traveling go? Both Same question to both of you, I suppose. Yes. Yeah, so for me, it was basically, we never had a weekend in Bendigo at home. It was always going somewhere, usually Melbourne. And there would be um, mum driving you, would she? No, that would be dad. Right, so good. dad would be driving on, on the weekends, literally every single weekend awesome. and it really early starts. So yeah, couldn't have done it without them either. So lots and lots of travel, heaps of travel. Yeah, it's good though. It's, it's what you, it's what you do is it's what you train up for and all that stuff. What about you, Henry? 
Did you travel very uh, much? Play? The the beauty of Adelaide, as far as tournaments are concerned, is that there was only one badminton stadium that we played tournaments at. So I traveled, but only to that stadium. And it was probably about a half an hour drive every time. And thank you to my mum who drove me as well. The only sort of travel that I needed to do was usually just for nationals. So the Australasian you know, championships. The Badminton Podcast is brought to you by Volant. Henry and I founded Volant out of our own frustration with the confusing, bright, and unsightly clothes we saw in badminton all over the world. But now, it's so much bigger than that. Our mission is to simplify the badminton journey and show the world how incredible badminton is. So make sure you check out our badminton basics at volantwear.com and follow us on our socials at volantwear. Can I ask, um, why did you choose Melbourne? I mean, you did, so you both went to the same university, is that right? And yep. Is it the biggest university in the area? What kind of choice did you have? And was the availability of badminton a conscious decision of the university that you chose? So for me, not not for me, I didn't choose Melbourne University of Melbourne because of badminton. I chose it because of dentistry. Really? At that stage, then, it was the only dental school in Victoria. I'm biased to say because I actually teach at the university now as well. But I'm biased yeah. to say that it is, it's one of the best best dental schools in Australia as well. So Reputation-wise and course-wise, it's been around for many, many, many years. That's where I wanted to be. So Melbourne was the obvious choice. Fun fact, though, Adelaide has a really good program as well, and I actually applied and got into Adelaide to do dentistry there, but I got into Melbourne, so I definitely chose Melbourne. (laughs) My wife's a dental nurse, so, yeah, she's feeling all the uh, PPE trouble you've got at the moment. She comes back, it's an absolute nightmare. She's got scars on her face from wearing the masks, and she comes back at the end of the day, she's, oh, my God, has she had... What they call? What did she call them again? Full PPE. She's. She said, "Oh, I had four full." P- Are you in full PPE when you're working and stuff, Jeff? Uh, probably not to the extent that she is. Though, it sounds like. So we have our normal gowns and our masks and, and stuff, but we're not in a surgical scrub setup. Oh, she is and changing it after yeah. and changing at every appointment. Every appointment, she check up. She can handle, but you know, as soon as somebody does a treatment, it's oh my goodness, it's unbelievable what they go through. And you're a vet, Henry. Yes. I trained as a vet. I'm no longer in clinical practice, so I spent about five years in clinical practice, but I'm no longer practicing at the moment. My work is sort of tied to the vet industry, Mm -hmm. so I work in the pet industry now. So, yes, yes, so specifically dog and cat food is what what I'm working with, yeah. Wow, it's amazing. Right, back to Babylon questions. What was your first ever racket? There's two. I had two about the same time. I can't remember which one I got first, but I can't remember what it was. It was a, one of them was a Pro Kenex. Yeah, oh, good, yeah. And one of them was the Prince 500. I remember the Prince 500 because there was an Australian badminton player named Lisa Campbell, and she won a gold or a silver at the Commonwealth Games, I think, in 98, I think it was. Yeah, I think it was 98 or, yeah, and... It was either 98 or 94, right. but she gave, I won that racket at, at this little little yeah. workshop that she held. So I do remember that moment when she gave me a new Prince racket and yeah. it had the funny wireframe. The, the oh yeah, that's right. Wireframes. That's right. Yeah. Prince 500. <laughs> but you still remember. What were you, Henry? Technically, probably my first racket was actually a, a combo package of two rackets and a shuttlecock from Kmart. And I remember yes. it being a yes. nice bright blue one with uh, essentially fishing twine as, as strings because they'd just never break and they'd be at 
15 pounds or something ridiculous in terms of their tension. That yeah. much? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Five pounds. <laughs> Absolutely. So your coach was Paul Stevenson, Jeff, yeah? Yes. Is that yes. right? What were you, Henry? Who was your first uh, coach? My, yeah. My first coach would have been Paul Godden. So a Paul as well. Thank you, Paul. And what was he like? Was he a very physical coach like Henry's? Like Jeff, sorry. Was he into the the athletic side, the performance side, and was it? Did he work you very hard to play, or was it mostly technical and kind of teaching you? Was he a physical person? Was he, was he saying you need to be? You know, probably your first coach probably wouldn't be like that. But have you had a coach in your kind of career that was quite physical that you you know have a busting session kind of thing? What was unique about the Paul that coached me, and something that we talked about on the podcast quite a bit was that he was a coach that helped develop a relationship with the player and helped them on their professional as well as personal journey. So that's what I really liked about Paul. He really cared about you as a player and that relationship development was really key for him and for us. So in terms of technical, physical, I think there were aspects of both, but I never had private coaching. So it was always group trainings that were involved. So it'd be a combination of physical and technical training, but predominantly physical, I would say. How critical do you think that is, Jeff? What do you think of that? You obviously had one-on-one coaching. Um, How important do you think that was to you? Yeah, I did have one-on-one coaching. I think it was very important in the early years in the technical side because then you're able to focus purely on one person and and the technique of one person. So, yeah, I I do think that's really valuable as well. How important do both of you think about the the provenance of of a coach? So how important, I'm quite interested in the idea that somebody that isn't necessarily an exceptional player and has never been an exceptional player could be respected by players for being a coach and not ever having particularly exceeded and got to a very high level themselves personally. Have you ever had coaching? What do you think of that? How important do you think it is that somebody has a coach that has succeeded? And do you feel that the coach has to have achieved a lot himself for you to take lessons from? Personally, for me, no. They didn't need to be the world champion. They don't need to have done amazing things in their athlete careers. Um, I think the main the main thing is understanding the athlete and just knowing, being able to do and know things that, that the athlete doesn't know or can help them discover. I think that, so one of, probably one of my, I wouldn't say the best coaches, but probably the coach that I probably found the most development and growth with was in my, when I just, made it into the national program when I was 18, 17, 18 years old. And his name was Klaus Paulsen and he's from Denmark and he's coached Peter Gator, Jeno Jorgensen, a lot of the top Danish players. And although his technical skills on court himself hitting and and that kind of stuff was, wasn't the best, definitely. His tactical sense, his professionalism, his mindset and his ability to break down limiting beliefs, that they were huge for me. And I think that that went way further than being able to show someone how to do a net spin. Yeah. Oh, can I ask you, what, what do you both think about the future and coaching yourselves personally? How do you feel about what you both learned through a kind of a professional career? Do you have interest in sharing it or how do you feel about that? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not quite sure how to respond to that one. I guess the, the future of coaching I think I no, more, talk- more talking about yourself, you know, do you feel over your life, you play a lot of badminton, you play a lot, you coach by a lot, you've learned a lot. Do you have an inclination to pass that on to 
other people? Do you do you feel like do you want to coach yourself or do you coach even? I don't coach. I think some part of me would always want to contribute back to the sport, which is why we're involved in so much when it comes to badminton, whether that be giving back through our podcast or sharing or engaging with other coaches, professional players, etc., and getting there, sharing their knowledge and wisdom with the community as well. As for sort of personal one-on-one coaching, it's never been on my list of things to do. It's not to say that I wouldn't enjoy, you know, providing mentorship or guidance to a person who's in need or a player who's in need, because I think, as as Jeff said earlier, for for coaching for me as well, it's it's not really about being the world champion or being the best coach physically and technically out there, but being the coach that the player needs at that particular point in time, and that can be a different thing for for every individual. I think I'm too selfish to be honest. I work too hard. Maybe when I'm retired, I could do something like that. When you when you work all day long, the idea of going and getting a whole room full of kids when the, none of them are your own is uh, is pretty. Uh, have either of you got kids or anything? No, neither. <laughs> no, stay away, stay away. <laughs> so your most successful event, mostly singles, singles, Jeff. But your doubles now. What about you, Henry? Did you play singles much? I don't think I ever got to a level where I required specialization, but funnily enough, Jeff refers me to a double specialist these days <laughs> and I, because the, the singles court is too big for me to cover. So I've decided that I'm a double specialist these days. <laughs> a double specialist. And you're doubles as well now, Jeff, right? Because we're, we're all getting old, right? 33. Yeah. 33 is very, very yeah, old. I, I don't get on the singles court much no, no these quite, days. Good. Um, good. Yeah. Um, the, one of the questions is, who was your main competition growing up? Is there a single name you could give to a single person who was the biggest competition you've had that, that you struggled to beat or that was just on the periphery of you, older or younger or anything else? Jeff, you don't have this at all. I was quite, I'm quite surprised that you don't have somebody that was, like the way you've said, you just sound so motivated in your own mind that you haven't had. Like everybody I've interviewed, they've said there was a guy who was two years older, his name was X, and God, he was amazing. And even like national players have said to me, there was a guy, and I'll say to them, do they still play? And they're like, no. <laughs> no, and these are like national players. Oh. National players, I've said, who did you play with? Oh, there was a guy called such and such. And I was like, oh my God, is he still playing? No. And this guy's in the team, right? For the you know, for for Scotland, for example. Yeah. No, actually, I, I probably do have a name. It's probably it's probably some of the the New Zealanders mm-hmm. who were in my year. So there's a guy named Alan Chan. So there was a group of four of us that were probably we were always competing because we were born in the same year, right. and their name is Alan Chan. And there's a there's a Henry Tam and there's a, a Chance Cheng, and they were from New Zealand, and they were probably the ones that I had the probably the biggest growing up the biggest kind of rivals for me because I was kind of the only Australian at that level, but they had three at that level, so I was always battling to fight them off and and play against them. And that kind of extended out into the first few years of of senior badminton as well. Here's um, a question for you. Like, yeah. Do you uh, do you remember ever going to a tournament and getting hammered? Not a proper tournament, but for the university games, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I find quite often. We still. I, I spoke to I speak to people about. I spoke to a guy Jim Mailer in Scotland, and he said he went to the. You know, he grew up playing. He loved badminton. And he played locally in his local centres and that kind of thing. And he went to the Scottish Open, which was in um, to the national championships, which is in Perth in Scotland. And he got hammered fifteen one 
and he got absolutely hammered and everybody's watching his family drove him up there <laughs> all his friends were there and he got absolutely thumped by this guy and it motivated him <laughs> and he you know he went back and he trained and he trained and he trained and the sheer humiliation <laughs> Got him training so hard, but it goes along with that thing, doesn't it? Where you know you learn more from your losses than you do from your wins. You know they say that, don't you? When you lose at something, you think a lot more. But I don't know what you think, but when I've lost a game, I think a lot more about it than I do when I've won. You know, when you think when you've won a game, you just kind of dismiss it. When you've lost a game, you really analyze it, don't you think? Yeah, I just completely misunderstood the way you you use the word oh, really? hammered. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, hammered is it? Yeah, got beats badly. <laughs> okay, yeah, it definitely does mean that. But when when you said it, hammered to me also means, or the first meaning that I got from it was got drunk, completely drunk. drunk. Yeah, I was and, gonna say yeah. It's yeah. The same. It's the yeah. same here. So, yeah, it's the same here. So, how often do you play now? So I am. I've taken up a role um, last year as one of the national senior coaches at badminton Australia. So I do a lot of coaching at the moment. So it does vary between like on-court sessions. But if you go purely just based on how much I play outside of those Social, coaching yeah. sessions, it's not actually that much. No. It's maybe maybe once a week when I'm playing with Henry or we're filming footage for Volant, our brand, yeah. or doing things for the podcast, et cetera. Yeah. But I guess that's where Henry and I are very, very different in that I've always been around high performance and I've never been really around the social scene that really? much. So when there's no coaching, if there's no sparring that I need to help some athletes with or players with, if there's no competitions, then I don't usually go to, to social badminton, but Henry does. So that's how we are quite different. It's very interesting. I interviewed Patrick McHugh, who's in Scotland, who's who was played for the national side in doubles in Scotland. And I was asking him, you know, once you get to the bit when you're retired, 32, I think he's 33, actually, and he's um, he started a coffee business called Power Press Coffee, which is about caffeine and athletics, right? You know, to, you know, caffeine, have a look at it, Power Press Coffee, it does, as a performance thing, you know, for CrossFit and all that kind of stuff. People take caffeine shots now, right? He does that now. Anyway, so I was asking him about how he, how he gets to play, right? And, and how he feels about competing at a basic level. Once having played as well as you can, I guess like yourself, you know, you played at, at the very, very highest level, and then to go to club badminton must be a bit uh, kind of that kind of thing. So I was asking him how he gets his kick effectively, and he's taken to coaching. I said, "Why do you coach? He's, is that about giving something back?" And he said, "Well, to be honest with you, it's you know, I get to play with a young Scottish national side that are coming through the best that you can get." within Scotland, and that's how he actually competes, although he goes and he coaches, when actually he's actually playing a game for himself. Are you the same, Jeff? Do you get to play against the best there is coming through, and is that part of the attraction for you, Jeff? Yes, it definitely is, and I am extremely competitive, even as the coach against the players. <laughs> that's what he said. That's what he said. I said, I said you, you decimalized it number. Mostly I just go and play singles. <laughs> it's quite good. It's quite a good story. That's good. And so, okay, I'm going to, I'm sorry, I'm rushing through you now. What's your current favorite racket, Henry? Oh, I think that's a trick question because we oh, have a racket. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. That is, that is his but favorite that is racket. My, though. That's my own Tell me about that. Tell me about that. How did you get into this? Yeah, 
I think we were looking at what other things we could enter into with Volant, especially given, you know, our original goal with Volant was to deal with some of the unsightly and tacky colors you see in badminton clothing. And we also sort of looked at, okay, so where, where else is a thing sort of tacky or, or difficult or, or, or even complex to understand? And so Rackets was one of those products where we're like, okay, if I was a person getting involved in the sport and I walked into a badminton store, where do you even begin? Because there is a rack of rackets in store, say 30 or 40 rackets, various colors, all, all these sorts of things. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. The rogue, basically, if you, if you know the definition of rogue person is that they go and do whatever they want. Essentially, they go rogue. So it is our even balanced racket in both 3U and 4U. And we try to make it as aesthetically pleasing as possible. So it is matte black. We love Ooh. matte rackets. And it also has reflective black decals on there, which can person to really appreciate the level of detail that we put into the racket in terms of how it looks. But it also plays just as well as well. So Amazing. again, don't take for it that uh, there are reviews out there on our website as well as on youtube as well but yeah it is the only racket that i have access to because all the rackets that i used to use were jeff's and he sold them <laughs> <laughs> <Not really. laughs> so you both use your, your own racket. well that's a great i am with you all the way i'm a disruptor i like to go you know if there's you know i'm into all sorts of stuff like that i've been looking at have you heard of oliver sport that it's a german brand they're, they're into um I like the technology. So I'm a, obviously I'm a techie geek, and I like the technology they've got. A, they have a chip in the butt. I don't know if you've ever seen that. If you look at Oliver, they've got a racket called, and they've developed a. I think it's a third party thing. If you look at butt, can actually just get it, but it's a bit messy. It go, it's a little thing that goes on your butt of your racket, which holds a battery and a, a tracker, some motion sensing stuff, and it communicates with an app. You can actually buy them online, but they're quite. Oliver built it into a racket. And the app controls, so you play a game, you play, and it's got the whole thing. It's like golf. It's racket speed. It's how many it's how many smashes you did, how many defensive shots you played. It's really clever. It's really clever. It's good. As much as anything else, it's just, just a bit of fun, right? Just so you, know, so you can get. It's basically, yeah, in the butt, there's a small section, right, of a battery and a chip in it, and it talks to an app on your phone. So after the game, you actually get to look at it and see how many, how fast your smashes were, that stuff. I can say it's pretty cool. Gimmicky, I would probably say, but a bit of, I think it's, yeah, I think the racket, obviously you can imagine, I mean, I don't know about you, I haven't actually seen it yet. So you imagine it would have an effect on the weight, right? You'd think, imagine it's got some effect on the weight of the, of the handle, that kind of thing. But to be honest with you, I'm going to try it anyway. So I look forward to giving it a shot. No, that's good for you. And what tension, what kind of string do you play with it on? Do you put in your Volant? Is it V-O-L-A-N-T, Henry? Volant. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, that's correct. It's nice. Where did uh, the name come from as well? So the reason why Henry and I haven't started the brand was, yes, looking at the unsightly clothing and, and trying to make badminton look better from an outside perspective and to welcome newcomers into the sport so they didn't think like, oh, I'm going to play badminton, I need to wear all these colourful clothing. That I, I'm, I have to tell you, I have to tell you, I wear those clothing, right? My wife hates them. She's like, oh, my God, is there, <laughs> is there anybody ever going to make some Babin clothing that's not gaudy, yes, luminous green and orange and blues? And, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely bang on we the money with have. that. Yeah, yeah. So the whole idea behind doing what we're doing is to make badminton, to show the world how incredible badminton is by bringing more 
people to the sport, but making it more recognized because as you know, badminton is an amazing sport, but some people just think it's a backyard sport that's slow and that's, that's easy and they don't know how good the best badminton players actually are. So that's why we actually created this. And, and from our perspective, everything that we do, whether it's the podcast, the people we speak to, whether we, it's the clothes that we make, it's the rackets that we have, it's all in the aim to make badminton look better. It's to welcome newcomers in there into badminton. It's to reduce barriers or break down barriers of complexity. Like Henry said, so instead of being 40 rackets, there's a racket that's there for you that's an all-rounder racket. It looks good. You don't have to bring out a bright yellow racket and and think, what what does this look like? So everything that we are doing is very focused upon on trying to build the badminton community. So, of course, build the knowledge and the the passion of the sport for people who already play but welcome new players into the sport, and that's really what our focus awesome. is. But, Martin, I have forgotten what – your initial question was that led me to, to uh, well, ramble. I don't know the name. The name, the yeah, Valance. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. The name of Valance. So because everything is very much related to badminton, we wanted to make the logo itself and the name of our brand tied to badminton because that's what we love. So Judo Volant in French, that's a terrible wow. French accent, I know. <laughs> I but thought it was quite good. <laughs> that is what the French used to call badminton um, really? back in the, the early, early, early days. And so we've used that name and – now, Valance in French, when a French person says that, it actually means the shuttlecock. Right. And in English, if you define it, um, Valance it means characterized by flight. And when we are talking about badminton, that is exactly how Henry and I feel. It feels like we're flying around the court. It feels it feels amazing. It feels like you're weightless, yes, that's right. especially when you're playing well. And, yeah, it, it feels amazing. So I guess everything really tied into that name with the the origins of badminton what it actually means to us and what it means to french people in terms of the name of the shuttle and then when you look at the logo itself it is actually if you zoom in onto a shuttle if you look at the negative space actually between the feathers of the shuttle yes. then you can actually see the shape of our logo oh really and we've just it's just split in half at the moment not at the moment but it's split in half it's not Tesla. A lot of people think it's a Tesla logo because it looks edgy and similar to a T of a Tesla, but it is actually the negative space between the feathers on the shuttle. So I think um, Henry has just sent it through. That was me. Oh, that's you. Yes. So oh, no, I've, if- actually, I've actually sent it. Oh, have you? The chat messages, because when you look at a real shuttle, it's not as clear, whereas... We got our logo based off of the world's largest shuttle statue. Oh, uh, well, so if you look at that one, well, uh, one second, one second. I'll one. see if it's very go. clear. This is new. This is a new one for me. People normally send me messages on Messenger while I'm in the. the oh, there it's there. One second. Eventually, there we go. Sorry about that. You can rotate it around, and you'll see the logo essentially. If the if the apex of yes. that negative space. Yes. Down yes. Yes. I see. So, well, who's the creative one? So if you look at Henry, if you look at Henry's shirt, then you'll be able to see the the shape there. I've got it. I've got it. Wow, I've got it now. I understand. <laughs> Thank you. Whose idea was that? You'll never be able to unsee that. <laughs> whose uh, whose idea was it? Who said I've got a good idea? You know the little bit in between the feathers and above the shell. That's not the logo. <laughs> whose idea was that? I'd love to to say it was one of us but we we had some help from a guy named Clyde he's a really cool guy and he helped us with some of the branding yeah, I like so it. 
to, so to credit to him. But we loved it. Do you know what it reminds me of? You, the racket. You know the way you describe the mat and the gloss side. It reminds me of. I've got a. a I've got a pro staff um, Roger Federer pro staff tennis racket, and they're black and they have gloss and they have mat on the same racket. Let me share the screen now, and that's gonna. That's he's lost me now. There we are. I've got him back. Yeah, good. Yeah, it's uh, it's good, good stuff. And sorry, did I ask you what kind of string you you play with? What string and what tension? How are you like with technology? So, are you quite freaky about it? Yeah, I do like my string. It I usually string it hands with Nanogy ninety eight. Your next Nanogy ninety eight. Yeah, good. Yeah. What about you, Henry? Twenty eight pounds and Nanogy ninety nine actually is my string of choice. What color? I usually just go with white, but I think with black my racket now, black is probably a good color too. This is the way forward. Have you made yourself a stencil yet? You're going to have to get a stencil. Yeah, no. we've got plenty of those made out of cereal boxes and, and whatnot. <laughs> that's, that's absolutely fantastic. I can imagine if you had, it's the dream eventually that you'd have like a, a full array of products. What's next, do you think? You've got a racket, you've got clothing. Would you like a shop? What Would you like a retail outlet? Would you do it all online? What do you think of that in the future? So so we're predominantly online now. It would be great to get into some more stores, but our current work is bringing out a a few more different rackets. So keeping it simple, but just catering for a few different weights. So currently the Rogue S1 is an even balance racket, and we are looking to bring out some other rackets such as head light rackets and head heavy racket as well look forward yeah to- i'm a big disruptor so i'm with you all the way brother that's awesome your favorite event favorite competition do you feel as competitive now as you did when you first started do you feel second last question um similar similar but probably slightly less are you an angry competitor do you get angry when you lose uh yeah do you yeah, I wouldn't say I get angry and smash rackets, no. but I, I do get upset with my... So are you one of these people that you'd say, probably don't talk to me for a little minute, please? Usually, yeah. After a tournament, definitely. Yeah, re- yeah. really good. Definitely. What about you, Henry? Yeah. You seem, you seem a bit more lighthearted than Jeff. Uh, yeah, probably not as competitive uh, as Jeff is, but I'm, yeah, I think from where I was and where I am now, I'm still just as competitive. I'm just not as good. Well, not, maybe not, not so much not as good. I'm just not as fit is probably what I should do. The correct words for me to use. Do you have um, extracurricular sports? Do you run or swim or anything as well? No. Do you do other sports as well? Golf, tennis, swimming? I play golf for fun. I, I run. I like doing yoga. I do I do a few other things. Yeah, it's good. To keep yoga that. and Pilates and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. So. Well, that's listen. I've, I've nearly finished. One last question, which is, what is it you love about badminton specifically, which is different in other sports? I'll start with you, Jeff. I'd probably say it's just the. Oh, I've said this a million times, so it might sound rehearsed, but it's just the complexity of it. It's just got so many different aspects of it. There's technical. There's tactical. There's physical. There's mental there's you can work on power you can work on speed you can work on endurance you can work on your strategy you can there's so many things that you can improve in and, and be better and so you're into the science and, of it are you quite are, yeah, are you quite that's why I love are you it. quite analytical are you into the science of it pretty analytical yeah. i'd say but i probably wouldn't say i'm com- like on a scientist yeah. level I'm, at it. i mean i have i have a, a lot yeah. of people will say to me the most common answer i get to that question is it's the people you meet all the way along in your career, the people that you know and the people that you've met and that you're still in touch with and people that love badminton. I don't know what you feel, but people that love badminton, I feel love badminton. Well, for myself, my own point, 
I don't know anybody that loves badminton that I don't like, which is unusual, I think, in other sports. People that love badminton love badminton. Do you know what I mean? If you can meet, and that's what I love yeah. about it's probably the same with a podcast. You know, you're always going to get somebody that loves what you love. So you've immediately got something in common with people that you're talking to. And that's what I love. Uh, that's what I love about it. And everybody I've ever played with, ever played with, and and seen play in person, I know, if you know what I mean. You, do, you know, I can see them 10 years later, 15 years later, and that's why it's, suddenly it's really popular. What do you think, Henry, on that question? I think, yeah, there, there are two aspects to it. The first being very similar to Jeff. There, it's such a multifaceted sport. There's so many layers to it, and there's so many areas you can develop and progress in. And I think for, for me personally, I am someone that is very driven by growth. So a sport that I can continue to grow in and learn in is is fantastic for me. And there's just so much to it. The the second piece is similar to you, Martin, in, in the in the community itself, though, you know, being, you know, coming from a different perspective from Jeff and spending a lot of my time playing social badminton, you know, I love the community. I learned how to play the sport because of the badminton community and it's just something that I'll, I'll take with me wherever I go. Like you said, you know, all those players that you play with become your closest friends, become your potential colleagues, become mentors or, or you know, people that are very close to you throughout life, not just at the badminton court. Fantastic. That's brilliant. Well, listen, I'm, I'm really sorry. It's a really amateur interview. I haven't asked you any questions, technical questions about who you played and you know you've you've had some great interviews of proper professional interviews i am very amateur but i'd just love to meet people that play badminton and love badminton so i'm with you brother all the way you keep you keep on with your professional work and i'll keep on doing the amateur stuff right no this is what we need we need everyone doing this to make badminton for everyone yeah so the more people who release podcasts who do videos the better it is for the sport and ultimately like we said before that's our goal is to shine the light on how awesome badminton really is. And now we're friends. That's all I'll say on the matter, right? Exactly. We'll speak again soon. All exactly. right. Enjoy the rest of the I'm going to go right. and try and sell some Xerox photocopiers now. Thanks for your time. Thanks for your time. Good luck. <laughs> Good luck, Peter Valam. We'll, we'll keep in touch. Thanks for your time, guys. It was brilliant. So from Henry and I at the Badminton Podcast... Thanks for tuning in to this episode. If you've enjoyed it or found it useful, be sure to share it with your family, friends, teammates, and someone outside your badminton circle too, because with your help, we can show the world how incredible badminton is. To keep up to date with new episodes and who we're interviewing next, make sure you connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at The Badminton Podcast and on Twitter at The Badminton Pod. Feel free to contact us and ask any questions, give us feedback or request topics for future episodes. We love hearing from you. And remember to check out and shop for your simple and minimalist badminton gear at volantwear.com. Catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye.